And the scripture is Luke 9, verses 23 to 27. All right. The word of the Lord. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's... uh, great to be here and I just want to echo the words that everyone else has been saying this morning and that is uh, I really miss all of you and I can't wait until we're back together again. But having said that I'm also very excited this morning to share with you God's word. Um, I as I was Preparing this sermon, putting it together, I had a real sense that God had some things that he wanted me to share with you, and so I'm truly excited about that. So let's turn things over to him uh, by praying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks to us. And Lord, this morning we ask that you would Help us to really hear what it is that you have to say. Lord, in these five short verses, you have a lot to tell us. So may we be attentive, listening to what you have to say, listening to what you're saying to our heart. Please open our minds, open our hearts, and help us to hear from you. And then, Lord, help us to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for some time now, as a church, we've been looking at the preeminence of Jesus Christ. For close to three years, Uh, with the Gospel Project, we went through the entire Bible, the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. And what we discovered was that in every part of the scriptures, they point us to, they lead us to, they direct us to Jesus, our Lord. Now this year, Pastor Marvin has been focusing us upon the life of Jesus, from his birth to his baptism, from his temptation to the calling of his disciples, 
from his healings to his teachings. And what we see over and over again is that Jesus is no ordinary man. He commands the wind and it obeys. He heals the sick and he raises the dead. He forgives sin. He feeds the multitudes. Even death does not have a hold on him. And so in Rebecca McLaughlin's words, Jesus presents himself not just as one possible path to God, but presents himself to us as God himself. That is who you are, we sing to Jesus. That is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. My God, that is who you are. But knowing, but knowing who Jesus is, that's, that's only half of the equation. The other half of the equation is us knowing who we are. For God so loved the world that he came in Jesus, John 3.16 tells us. God in Jesus loves the world. He loves us. But who are we? The words that Jesus speaks in today's reading cause us to look at ourselves and they point us to the answer. You know, sometimes when I look at myself in the mirror, it scares me. <laughs> There's an old limerick, maybe you've, maybe you've heard it. My face, I don't mind it because I am behind it. It's you folks out in front that I jar. <laughs> Who are we? Who are we? At the Academy Awards a few weeks ago, Chloe Zhao, who, was, who won the award for Best Director for her, her film Nomadland, in her acceptance speech at the Oscars, quoted an ancient Chinese poem. And this is what it said. It said, man on earth, good at birth. She was saying that if we can just retrieve this notion, this notion that people at birth are born inherently good, then the world would be a far better place. This is a, a very popular idea in our world today. Lots of folks believe that if we can just be true to ourselves, they say if we can just get rid of all the cultural and religious baggage that hinder us from expressing the true expression of who we really are, if we can just be our true selves, then everything will be well. This is, this is a, a very modern view that is accepted all over the world today. 
People say it's, we, we've got to find ourselves. We've got to express ourselves. We've got to love ourselves. It's what the theologian Carl Truman calls the rise and triumph of the modern self. But friends, the Bible says something very, very different. It says at the heart of every human being, there is a desire to put ourselves first. Have you ever looked, have you ever looked at a group photograph in which you're a part of it? Where do your eyes go first? <laughs> I think it happens to us all. We look, we look for ourselves in that group photo, don't we? There is a desire to put ourselves first. Each of us is the center of our own universe. From the moment a baby is born, from their perspective, everything centers on them. They want to be changed. They want their food. As Genesis chapter 3 tells us, our earliest ancestors fell for Satan's temptation to be like God. We want to exalt ourselves. We want to be our own gods. We automatically assume that, well, we belong to ourselves, not to God. It's my life, we say. It's my life. It's my right. I'll do it my way. That's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is in us all, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul in Romans 7.18 says this. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I know that I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Nothing good dwells in me, says Paul. And yet Paul was this, this devout Pharisee, this devout Jew who followed the commandments. He was truly a man of God. And yet he said, nothing good lives in me. But we're quick to defend ourselves, aren't we? We're quick to do that. Oh, well, nobody's perfect, we say. Nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, right? Everybody messes up from time to time. But sin, the Bible tells us, is not just messing up. It's not just doing wrong things. It goes far, far deeper than that. Sin is in our DNA. We are all born with it. This is how we all are born. We put ourselves first. In Dane Ortland's words, we were following Satan, the prince of the power of the air, even if we didn't know it. The power of hell was not only something we yielded to, it was something inside of us. The spirit that is now at work in the sons and daughters of disobedience. 
And you know what sin does to us? It does something really awful. It cuts us off from God. The wages of sin is death. Sin makes us spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2 say, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in, once you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. These are the symptoms of spiritual death. We don't hear God speaking to us. And truth be told, we don't want to hear from him. We're not even interested in hearing from him. Worshiping God, reading his word, bores us. Bores us silly. And pray, well, only if we can get something out of it. What's in it for me? These are the symptoms of sin. As sinners, God is dead to us and we are dead to him. And even as believers, even as believers, sin keeps popping up in our, in our lives, a kind of spiritual rot, a deadness to God that can easily take hold of us. Oh, we, we, we don't pray the way we used to. We still do our Bible readings, but it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And... We're always looking for a good excuse not to be to church, not to go to church. Wow, COVID, there's an excuse right there. Sin is insidious. Putting yourself first, wanting to be the center, wanting to be God, in fact. That was the sin of Satan, said C.S. Lewis. And that was the sin he taught the human race. That is who we are. We are not born good. We are not even born imperfect, but basically good. We are born sinners. We are born with a natural affection for ourselves, not for God. And that's a problem because, to quote C.S. Lewis again, God designed the human machine to run on himself. God designed the human machine to run on himself. God made us so that he is the fuel. He is the food that makes us run, that enables us to live as we were meant to live. When God is dead to us, when he is taken out of the picture, the human machine tries to run on empty. And when that happens, is it any wonder the world is in such a mess? But God, God who is rich in mercy, he has not left us alone. He has come into our mess. He has come to our world in Jesus Christ. And as Romans 5, 8 tells us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The sin which, which deadens us to God gets covered with his blood 
the blood of Jesus, and suddenly, suddenly we're alive to God as we've never been alive before. We are born again. And it's only when we are born again that we recognize the truth of who we really are. When that happens, we recognize our sin. And we start to love Jesus more than we love ourselves. What a change. I remember the night I was sitting by myself at home listening to some music by Keith Green when I heard him sing to Jesus, make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what he wants me to. No empty words and no white lies, no token prayers, no compromise. And as I heard those words, as I heard Keith Green singing those words, the love of God in Jesus Christ broke through to me with a joy greater than anything I have ever known. I got down on my knees beside the chair where I'd been sitting and I, repeat, I repented to the Lord for all those empty words and token prayers and all the compromises that I had made in my own life. I was born again. I was a new man in Jesus Christ, ready at last to follow him. But what does following Jesus really mean anyway? Well, today's reading from Luke chapter 9 takes place just after Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples that he must suffer and be killed, and then on the third day to be raised from the dead. And then Jesus tells the disciples that if they are going to follow him, they too can expect to suffer and to die. What? What? I mean, we've all heard about Christian martyrs, about people who have been tortured and killed for their faith, and we, we think, oh, isn't that, isn't that terrible? They've had to go through these, this terrible suffering. But that's, that's for them. That's for, that's for missionaries. That's for, that's for people in, in countries where there's great persecution. That's not us, we say. That's just, that's just for exceptional Christians. But listen again. Listen again to the words of Jesus here in verse 23 of Luke 9. If anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Get used to it. If you're going to be my followers, Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my followers, there's going to be opposition. Not just for some exceptional few Christians, but to anyone, anyone who truly follows Jesus. The opposition comes from Satan. 
The opposition comes from the world, which is controlled by Satan, and the opposition comes even from within ourselves when the sin that is in our DNA entices us to look out for number one. Everyone who follows Jesus, everyone is not physically put to death for following Jesus. But if we are really going to follow him, there will be opposition one way or another. There will be opposition and Jesus is telling us it will hurt. There will be suffering if you follow me, says Jesus. It will be painful. A dying of one sort or another. It's not that we want to suffer. We don't go out looking for suffering. But you know what? You know what? No matter what the suffering that comes our way from following Jesus, it's nothing, it's nothing comparable to the glory and the joy and the love of knowing Jesus, our Savior and our Lord and our God. There is nothing, no matter what it is, there is nothing that can compare with his love. Once the love of Jesus has broken through to us, all the other things, all the rest of the things that the world has taught us to strive after, self-fulfillment, self-actualization, self-love, suddenly we see that those roads only lead to death. And Jesus, Jesus, he is life, life in all its fullness. And that's why Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. The world's get it wrong, you see. It's not lift yourself up. It's lift Jesus up. Lift Jesus high. Deny yourself. That's the road to life. An old hymn, an old hymn says it beautifully. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea. Him exalting, self-abasing. This is victory. Jesus tells us to deny himself. And then he adds, take up your cross daily. Well, Colossians 3.5 explains what it means to die daily. This is the message translation of Colossians 3.5. It means killing off everything connected with that way of death, sexual promiscuity, impurity, Lust, doing whatever you feel like doing whenever you feel like doing it, and grabbing hold of whatever happens to attract your fancy. That's a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by God. It's countercultural 
to go against the world and against even our own DNA. But we take up the cross daily. Why? Because Jesus is so very worth it. Jesus is so worth it. Nothing, absolutely nothing is worth losing him and the life that he brings to us. Why do we take up our cross daily? Because Jesus is so worth it. As he put it himself, for, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Deny yourself, says Jesus. Then he says, take up your cross daily. And finally, he says, follow me. Follow me, says Jesus. Notice here that Jesus doesn't simply say, follow my teachings. He says, follow me. It's personal, you see. It's personal. He calls us to follow him. As we discovered last week on Pentecost, he hasn't left us here as orphans. Yes, Jesus has gone back to the right hand of the Father, but now he sends his Holy Spirit to be with us. And he comes to us by his Holy Spirit. And you know what happens? As we, as we spend time with Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, as we hang out with him, something really quite wonderful happens. Have you ever spent a lot of time with someone? You know what happens when you do that? When you hang out with someone? You start to, you start to think like them. You start to act like them. You start to become like them. The more we follow Jesus, the more we spend time with him, the more we hang out with him, the more we become like him. Amy Carmichael was a Christian from Ireland who was a missionary in India. Uh, toward the latter part of her life, um, she became an invalid and was unable to get out of bed. But that didn't stop her. Uh, she did a lot of writing. And she wrote a poem, a very short poem, which I'd like to share with you this morning. The poem is titled, No Scar, with a question mark after it. She wrote this poem from the perspective of Jesus, who is speaking to one of his followers, speaking to you and to me. Now, the language that she uses is old-fashioned to our ears. And you may not catch all the words, but I just want you to think about this, think about what she's saying here and what this poem is telling us, is showing us 
Jesus' perspective, and he's saying, why is it that you, as his followers, don't have any scars? So here it is. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent, leaned me against a tree to die and rent by ravening beasts that compassed me. I swooned. Have you no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, nor scar? Who are we? We are a people. We are a people, friends, who have been given a mighty privilege. Philippians 1, verse 29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. That is our holy calling. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that your love has broken through to us and you have shown us that nothing absolutely nothing is as wonderful or as great as you. You are truly our all in all. You are everything, Lord. If we have you, we have everything, and if we have all the world without you, we have nothing. Lord, let our lives proclaim your goodness let our lives honor you. And no matter what comes our way, no matter what, no matter what, may we give you praise and glory and honor. And may we be thrilled to know and to say and to proclaim to the world that Jesus Christ is our Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior, and Jesus Christ is our God. In your holy and precious name.